0: Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about wise and gracious responses to a church who mishandled a case of domestic abuse. But before we jump into that content today, I want to remind you of all the wonderful things you can be involved in at chrismoles.org. The number one resource I want to recommend to you, you've heard me say it time and time again, but it bears repeating, is PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And it features a vault of archived teaching, hundreds of hours of content, uh, along with toolbox items, uh, success paths, other resources that can be helpful to you if you're a people helper engaged in confronting the evil of domestic abuse with gospel-centered solutions. So please check out Peace Works University, consider joining, and you can find out more at chrismoles.org. Well, today we're going to dive into a listener question. It has a lot of layers to it, but it's something that we come in contact with pretty regularly. Let me just read the question and then we'll unpack the the sub-points, the sub-questions that go with it. How can a survivor respond well to her church that handled her case poorly in the past? So the church was involved in a case of domestic abuse. And they did not handle it well. And so now the survivor, in this case, wants to respond to them. Now, here's what the church has done. The church has reached out to apologize. They've asked for forgiveness and are attempting to restore the relationship. Well, let's talk just a little bit about this first piece. There's some more layers to this specific question. But I think we have enough to go on to just talk about um, With what's in front of us. First of all, I think we need to be honest and open as a church community that we make mistakes when it comes to addressing domestic abuse. You've often heard me say it, that domestic abuse is among the most misunderstood and mismanaged problems facing the church today. So churches do not necessarily have great track records when it comes to handling cases of abuse. However, there's some nuance there, there's some things to consider. Number one is churches are becoming better equipped. Uh, When you consider the mistakes of the past, even the philosophy and approaches of many uh, churches in the past, in particular evangelical churches, we've come a long way, as the saying would go. There are many improvements that could be cited and many that we do cite here. The other nuance, I think, the other layer that we need to consider here is that no church of any stripe or any tribe will manage a case of domestic abuse perfectly or to everyone's satisfaction, and I think we need to throw that out there. I often say this to folks that I train, it's an important lesson to learn for anybody getting into the work of abuse prevention and intervention, there are no perfect interventions. Now we try to aim small, you'll often hear that saying too if you're around me much, aim small, miss small. We want to uh, aim small so that our mistakes are mitigated, that we are doing thorough enough work that these mistakes are not um, too catastrophic because we understand that there's going to be missteps. Sometimes, sometimes they are mistakes that could have been avoided. Sometimes they're just the part of the intervention, a part of the care and confrontation, because we are dealing with people, and people are much more complex than formulas or processes. And we need to keep that in mind, that none of our interventions, none of our approaches are going to be 100% satisfactory. There's going to be um, holes, there's going to be openings, there's going to be flaws in anything that we do. However, the questioner here seems to be, indicating that the church mismanaged the case, which does happen, and that she uh, was harmed by the church's response. I wish I could say that that is uh, rare, but unfortunately, that's a common thread that we've heard over the years at PeaceWorks. And one of the reasons why we continue to do the ministry that we do, we believe that educating, training, and equipping the church is one of the ways in which we've been called to address this problem. So churches will have issues with handling cases properly. One good thing that seems to be evident in this question is that the church has recognized to some degree or another their fault or their flaws in the approach. The questioner says that they've now attempted to apologize. So I want to talk about that for just a moment. I think if a church is willing to own their responsibility in mismanaging a case That that's wonderful. Uh, But I do want to throw out just a warning. And I hate to be so cynical, but it is part of the work that we do. You have to have somewhat of a critical mind. I don't want to have a critical spirit. And so I think that might be a a good learning lesson for anybody who's listening in. Years ago, I was confronted by a pastor friend of mine to really guard my spirit. To keep a critical mind, but to have a teachable spirit. And part of that has driven me in the work that we do here at PeaceWorks. I want to be critical in my thinking. I want to evaluate what I'm seeing, but I don't want to be jaded or cynical to the point that I'm throwing every church in every circumstance under the bus. I want to be critical in my thinking. And so when a church apologizes, one of the things I want to ask is, what are we apologizing for? What are we owning? What has the church identified as their part in the mishandling it's one thing for a church or a church leader to acknowledge that things went sideways it's one thing for a church or a church leader to recognize that the case did not end the way they wanted it to end and that's actually something we come in contact with more than a church genuinely owning the, uh, the management of the case, is recognizing that they didn't achieve an outcome that they wanted. And so I think that's the first thing I would evaluate. What are we apologizing for? If the church is coming along, and I've seen this many times, and they say, we didn't recognize the dynamics and impact of abuse in your case. We didn't properly listen, document, or gather information. We ran ahead of you whether, rather than relying on you. We didn't seek... Outside expertise. We didn't ask for third party help and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When the church's apology comes along with acknowledgement of specific ways in which they failed, to me, that's a positive and that's something that I would embrace. When they reach out to apologize, the first thing I want to do and encourage survivors to do is listen. You might need someone with you. Maybe an advocate who's listening alongside, just especially if you feel as if you've been harmed, if you feel threatened or in danger by the mismanagement of the past, then certainly have someone in your corner. But we're listening not for things like, I'm sorry it went down this way, I'm sorry your marriage failed, I'm sorry that we didn't know. The real apologies are, I'm sorry. Right? that we went ahead of you, that we didn't elicit help, that we didn't ask more questions, that we didn't believe you. Those types of apologies are the ones that we're looking for. The church here has also asked for forgiveness. In order for that to really be granted or considered, they're going to have to, let's go back to point one, acknowledge the the misses. Has the church properly addressed the sin of the situation? Have they confessed Because forgiveness as a means of, hey, we want you to forgive us, is one thing and a very difficult thing as opposed to, hey, here's the ways in which we believe you, we've wronged you. We would invite you to add to that list or subtract subtract from the list if we have overstated it. If you could provide us clarity on our wrongdoing, we would be happy to turn from that wrongdoing. Those are different conversations. And I, I wish I could say that the church always operates at that level of humility, but as you know, many times church churches come, go into protective mode, protecting themselves rather than protecting the flock. And I, I think that's, um, I think that's sad, really. And I would love to see churches be a little bit more open about their own flaws, because churches are made up of people, and people are flawed. And sometimes churches, you know, really rely heavily on systems. And systems are great for 90% of the circumstances, but sometimes they will chew people up if you're not prepared, if wisdom isn't part of the system. So forgiveness really needs to be specific. I, I can't grant forgiveness for something that you can't acknowledge. So, you know, are they inviting you into the process? Are you openly involved in confrontation? And then with that, are you willing to... Look at the ways in which maybe you've overstated the facts. Are you guys willing to come to the table and acknowledge, here's how I was wronged, and the church is able to say, here's how we wronged you, and to find that place where forgiveness and repentance can be balanced. Now, the last piece to this question was they're attempting to restore the relationship, which I, I love that too. I think um, forgiveness will often lead to restored relationships, but in, in much the same way we would advise victims who are granting forgiveness to a past abuser, that may be warranted, it may be available, it may be the right next step, but that doesn't mean that your relationship returns to what it was prior. Uh, Forgiveness does not automatically restore trust. Although relationships can be restored, they may be redefined. So it may be um, appropriate if they are sincere, which the question seems to indicate that they have succe- sincerely acknowledged their, their wrongdoing, they're seeking forgiveness and uh, tempting repentance, and now they want to restore the relationship With the, which if all of those things are true, that would be an appropriate next step, but the relationship may be redefined. We may be able to be restored as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, perhaps we can have a familial relationship again from a distance. But maybe, maybe the church needs to be prepared and understand that you may be moving on to a new place of worship where you are shepherded by a new group of people. And that needs to be okay. They need to be okay with that. If they have um, severed that trust, then the restoration of trust, trust doesn't mean the restoration of authority. So they may have forfeited that, and they need to be willing to wrestle with that. I hope that makes sense uh, to those who are listening. The, the questioner goes on to ask a, a list of bullet questions, and we'll, we'll address those uh, at this point uh, to the best you know, best of our ability. She asks, how can a survivor receive something like that in a godly way? And um, I think the how-to of that You know, I can't speak for everyone because everyone is processing information different. Everyone is hurt in different ways. There's varying levels of ways in which the church's mismanagement harms victims. Um, But I guess I I would start with, it begins with your relationship with Christ, I think, and your willingness to receive. I often have instructed victims in the past, you know, be prepared to forgive. You may not have the means to forgive because repentance may not be there. and Consequences may be the continued result of the other person's sin. Well, much the same way with the church. Are you prepared to forgive? Uh, are you prepared to come to the table and dialogue? That's one of the godly things that I think we can do. It doesn't mean that the anger has gone away. It just may mean how we use that anger. So the church, in this case, seems to be acknowledging their sin, seeking forgiveness, and wanting a restored relationship. One of the godliest responses, I think, is not simply to, you know, wink and nod at that behavior, but to engage in that behavior, to hear the confession, to witness the repentance, to grant the forgiveness when appropriate, and to be involved in the restitution. And what I mean by that is, what policies and procedures are you now putting in place? because of my case? What training are you now engaging in and seeking because of my case? Does this make sense? You can't go back and manage my case better. You can't go back and fix the wrongs of the past, but what are you now putting in place to prevent the wrongs of the future? And to me, that's one of the precious privileges of a survivor is the ability when properly healed and finding your identity in christ and being prepared to move forward is to engage in institutions like the church um, to whatever degree you're comfortable for them to understand that their next steps are to change and then to rejoice in that I, I will say i've seen many survivors and again it is their prerogative but it does sadden me to see a survivor get angry when the church makes changes uh, because those changes were too late for them. And I understand the disappointment in that. I acknowledge the anger in that. Uh, but there is a level at which I think all of us at the work can rejoice to a degree when a church acknowledges their mistakes, seeks forgiveness, applies repentance, and develops a system or a process of restitution where they begin to make things right Moving forward, the second thing I think when it comes to godliness is to to be disciple, to really seek help from uh, a counselor or an advocate who has your best interest and will point you back to the person, the mission, mission of Jesus, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, the sufficiency of His Word, and being able to see that your experience with a with people of faith did not undermine your faith, that their failure doesn't wreck your faith, but that God's, um, sovereignty and his sufficiency rescues your faith and to be able to move forward, uh, with Jesus, I think is a powerful godly next step. The next part of the question results in is about discernment. And discernment's hard for all of us. Uh, Some folks are just really gifted with it. Other folks, not so much. In in a kind way, I want to say this, but I do think it's it's a truthful statement. So I don't want to demean anyone, but I also want to kindly recognize its reality. Discernment is in particularly difficult for individuals experiencing or recovering from trauma as there are multiplicity and complexities regarding how we think, how we process, and how we respond. And so I think one of the most discerning things we can do if we are removed from the abuse, just short-term removed from the abuse, is to have other people in our lives that we trust, trusted advocates and counselors, who can help us process the information. I know that churches often can function like abusers, and They see themselves as having done wrong. They want to repair that quickly. They don't want there to be distance between them, they, and their parishioners. So they try to quickly remedy the situation without recognizing that this individual may not be prepared to discern and understand or trust anyone who's talking with them. So the first layer of discernment is to bring someone along with you to have this information processed with a trusted advocate. Also, be ready to identify, and this is where an advocate can help, identify ways in which, like we said in the very first part of the question, the church continues to minimize or misunderstand, acknowledging not the flaws in their approach, but acknowledging the flaws in the outcome. A lot of times, churches, well-meaning churches, can get so focused on the outcome of intervention that is a restored marriage, a restored family, a, you know, um, Sense of peace as opposed to real peace, they can get so caught up on the outcome that they they fail to see um, their their failure in the process. And what I mean by that is just because the outcome they wanted was not met, doesn't mean that the process itself was failure. If safety cannot be met over here in the expectation, then um, there is no clear path. Safety must be established, and so. Uh, having someone, you know, an expert or an advocate or a counselor who can walk that walk through that with them, if they're continuing to minimize, because if they continue to minimize, you know, deny or blame, they remain unsafe in that regard. So discernment, um, you know, I would say having other people is the biggest help there, and then being removed from uh, the situation in the church. Some folks, this is a you know process that years later, they're able to go back and make. Um, repairs with the church and the church is ready to acknowledge and the survivor is ready to discern where they stand because she's properly healed and processed. Uh, the, the questioner also asks, how can she be kind and gracious yet speak the truth. That's a matter of some people are going to disagree with this but I think being kind and gracious is a matter of choice. Um, I think you can be kind gracious, and truthful, um, even when emotionally you're, you're torn. It's not something that's easily done, but I think it's something that's necessarily done. And the, the passage that I often use is Ephesians chapter 4, when Paul's talking about anger, he contrasts six sinful responses of anger with three righteous responses to anger. And those righteous responses are kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. just as in Christ God forgave you, so the, the the forgiveness is conditional in many ways. But note that Paul's talking about the context of anger. So in your anger, don't do these six expressions. don't Don't be explosive or brawling or slanderous or malicious or gossipy or or whatever. Right? Don't be that. Instead, be kind. Let your anger and disappointment and frustration move you to kindness, because Kindness is going to speak the truth. This church needs someone to do them a kindness. Here's how you mismanage this case. You've got to do better. They need compassion. I really feel bad that you missed this case so badly. right? You really need a remedy. And then forgiveness, calling them to repentance by saying, hey, I would love to forgive you just as God forgave me. Will you turn from this bad process and turn towards something new? So I think kindness is just a, a virtue that I think sometimes we equate with feeling a certain way, like I want to feel kind, where kindness is a choice. It's something that we do. I could go a little deeper in that, but I see we're running up against the wall on time. I hope that was helpful to survivors and victims and churches out there. Understanding that domestic abuse is often mismanaged to varying degrees, and our willingness as church leaders to own our uh, flaws and responsibility while at the same time seeking to repent and be granted forgiveness while also partnering with the victim for restitution, I think are great next steps, especially if you find yourselves learning and growing as church leaders. For victims and survivors to be able to have that relationship restored, maybe not pastorally, maybe not completely. But restored properly is also something that the church needs to work on. I I can tell you I am not in favor of the idea that um, churches or people or processes should be abandoned and that survivors and victims only recourse is to continue to move or run. Uh, I think problems should be handled so that there's safer places for the future. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on the PeaceWorks podcast today. I appreciate every one of you and your willingness to be part of this work. Until next time, God bless.